Hey, y'all, if you haven't had the opportunity to check out my website, go to chow-town.com. On there, you can find all of the past articles I've written as well as previous episodes of this podcast. Again, that's chow-town.com for all of the articles I've written as well as past episodes of this podcast. You can find this podcast also on iTunes at Chowtown Podcast and on Spotify. And of course, because you want to see pictures of the food, that's what people want to see these days, you can find me on Instagram at Brendan H. And I will spell that for you because as has happened many times in my life, people butcher the name Brendan. So that's B-R-E-N-D-E-N. H at Brendan H on Instagram. Let's let's get into it. It's Thursday. It's July. It's the 11th of July. It's also me, Brendan Hernandez, the host of the Chowtown podcast. It has been a whirlwind last couple weeks. And I know I say I've always been busy, but this week, personally at least, and in a good way, it was a whirlwind. Uh, just got back from Colorado. That was fun. Uh, went there for a wedding. Uh, before I talk a little bit about that wedding, uh, let me just say that this was my third time to Colorado. I had not um, I had not been to this part of Colorado. I was in Crested Butte. Um, but the first time I had gone to Colorado, I was about... I think eight or nine years old, and just a little uh, backstory. I, I grew up in Houston for the first half of my life. Lived there up until 2004, uh, then moved here to Phoenix. So those are two warm climates, and one is very humid, the other one's very dry, but they're warm for the most part. So at the time, I was living in Houston, and I had never seen snow in my life. You can imagine being a nine-year-old, seeing snow for the first time in Colorado, pretty exciting. Uh, but that was Loveland, Colorado. My grandparents lived there for um, and, and until they passed away. Um, that is where they, I, th- I think, you know, old people have like two retirements, and that was like their second retirement. There's the initial retirement, you know, you 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 save up and you, you stop working at this certain age, and, and you're kind of in the town that you... Uh, put your roots down in and, and lived in and had your children if, if that's what you did. But there's that first initial retirement. And then I think people have this second retirement where they just pick a city. They're like, eh, we either have a second home there or we visit there a lot or we always want to move there. And they just move there. And that's what my grandparents did. Arizona is one of, it's got to be one of the top three states for this. I All the time you see people, and we call them snowbirds here, you see people come in and they'll be here from about October until April, although they're staying later and later these days. I, um, I live, most of my neighbors where I live um, are snowbirds and a lot of them left in May this year. But you see them, you know, they, they split time between here and, and wherever they're from and then eventually they just end up in Arizona. So I just call it a second retirement. So my grandparents had a second retirement in Colorado until they passed away. So I went there when I was nine, and it wasn't until I was 20 that I went back. It was 2012, went to Breckenridge, and I'm, you know what, story time for you. So 
some of you listening have heard this story before. Others have not. It has nothing to do with food, but, you know, it, it was it was a very, uh, f- I thought it was funny. My mother didn't think it was funny at all, but um, I was very into cycling and triathlon back uh, when I was in college. Very interesting time to get into a sport like that. But I, I participated in it. I loved it. I'd been a runner in high school. Um, I'd always loved uh, biking, and I thought, you know what, why not learn how to swim, even though it's hard as fuck to learn how to swim properly. Um, but I did that, and uh, some friends of mine were living in Boulder, um, and uh, one of my friends, his dad, got this house in, in Breckenridge, and his dad invited his friends, and then my friend said, hey, you can come, and, and, and it was just one big group. It was a fun time, guys weekend. So I get there on a Thursday. My buddy picks me up from the Denver airport. We drive down to Breckenridge. Uh, Breckenridge is a beautiful town, whether it's in the winter during ski season or during the summer, which this summer it seemed like ski season was never going to end. It literally snowed there uh, about a week before I was due to be in Colorado. Even though I wasn't going to be in Breckenridge, it was still shocking to see that amount of snow on the television. But we went down to Breckenridge, got to this beautiful house, really excited. My plan was to stay there for... Uh, we were going to stay there for the weekend. There was this mountain bike race my friends were going to do. And then after that, I was going to go uh, back with uh, the Boulder people uh, to check out Boulder. I'd never been. Still have never been. I'll tell you why. So I got in on a Thursday. That next day, Friday, uh, my friend said, do you want to go mountain biking with us? I said, why not? Looks fun. Never done it before. I've done a lot of road cycling, but how hard can it be? Breckenridge is pretty high up, and so we we were we were at altitude. Um, I had actually ended up doing well. My friend says to this day I was doing pretty well for a guy who hadn't mountain biked before. There was definitely sketchy parts of the trail, um, but at no point did I feel in danger. And then it happened. So normally, when you crash mountain biking, mountain biking, uh, despite being on a bike, it's not that fast of a sport. Um, you know, you're, you're not hitting fast speeds. If you crash, you're on dirt, you tend to have a few scrapes, but you come out. Okay. We get to this hill, uh, of the trail that we're at. And my friends had gone on ahead because they were better descenders than I was. And I start coming down this hill and I see my friend and he's just waiting there. And, and it's kind of a T in the road. So if you go left or right, it's this backcountry road. If you go straight, you cross over the road back onto the trail. So I see my friend. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to ride up to him. I'm coming down this hill. I'm probably going 20 or 23 miles an hour. And at the last second, the trail, it was kind of weird. It, it veered off a little bit, and he kind of didn't know where you were going. But at the last second, I saw a ditch. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to crash. Might as well let it happen. The, the rule of thumb in cycling is if you know you're going to crash, you actually don't want to tense up. You don't want to do anything because that's how you break bones. So I said, shit, I'm going to crash. Here we go. I'll just let it happen. Right before that ditch came up, just a millisecond later, I had the brilliant idea, as you do when you're in your 20s, your early 20s, you have brilliant ideas. I thought, you know what? I'm going to jump this. It's not that deep. I'll bunny hop it and I'll be fine. So I decide to bunny hop it, which just means basically, you know, jumping your bike up. 
And uh, it turns out the ditch was a lot deeper than I thought. And my front wheel went right in. All my momentum got stopped. I went over the handlebars, slammed elbows first into the pavement, and then slapped my face right on that asphalt. My friend at the time said, you know, oh, I, I saw him crash. Didn't think anything was going to happen. You know, I thought he was going to be fine. Roll over. I roll over. He looks at me and he goes, oh, shit. Folks, I knocked out a tooth. My front tooth was gone. I remember rolling over and kind of feeling around. And then all of a sudden I started moving my tongue in my mouth. And I thought, no, I'm missing a tooth. And I could feel a gap. And then I could feel my other tooth kind of twisted sideways. I'm sorry if you're eating right now or if you get very squeamish. It's funny because I didn't think about it until I got to the hospital, but I had gone to the dentist that week. I think it was Tuesday, and they had said, we love working on your teeth. You take such good care of them. You have a great smile. And then I decided to knock out my teeth. Uh, long story short, ended up going to the hospital. I broke both my elbows at the time, um, knocked out both of my front teeth. The interesting thing was when I when people found out about the accident, the first thing they would ask me about was my elbows. My elbows took six weeks to heal. It was nothing. Teeth, I had such damage to my teeth, I had to have uh, two surgeries, and I ended up getting uh, implants. So many, of, a lot of my friends know that my two front teeth are fake. They're implants. But most people who meet me for the first time, they don't know it. They can't tell. So shout out to the dentist, uh, just the dentistry world in general that are awesome. I thought I should tell that story because that was my second time in Colorado. And uh, unfortunately, I escaped. I did not. I came back with uh, less change than I had. So um, but it was but, you know, I'm not afraid of Colorado. It was just a funny story that happened and, and something, you know, that, that was not a fun couple weeks, you know, being laid up in bed like that. But I hadn't been back since then, and a buddy of mine, a buddy of mine Ryan, uh, was getting married uh, to the love of his life. It, it was a great ceremony. Uh, Crescent Butte's a little hard to get to. Uh, you know, we flew my uh, a friend of mine. Uh, we flew into to Denver. We had a very early morning and then a longer drive. But uh, you know, when you have when you have good friends, you 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 um, you make sacrifices for them. You you know you it, it wasn't a big deal. I, I loved it, and and, and it was my first time. Uh, being in that part of Colorado, the weather was perfect. It was in the 70s. It got cold at night. The ceremony was outside. Uh, in terms of, I, I saw some pictures from the ceremony. Talk about setting the bar high for the rest of us out there who aren't married. Um, but it was a great ceremony. Uh, I will say I did eat on the way there. So let's just get into the food that I've been eating because that's really what you want to talk about. On the way there, I stopped uh, there was a guy that, uh, one of the guys who was friends with the groom, uh, he drove me and my buddy down to Crested Butte and we stopped off at this restaurant called Moxie Bread Company. He, he goes, you know, it's really good. Um, you guys are going to love it. And of course, when you, when you have bread company, you know, we, we have good bread in Phoenix, you know, we have noble bread. So the bar is set pretty high, at least for me in terms of bread. I got to say, uh, this was very good bread, incredible bread. Uh, I had a sandwich. I had, um, I had the lay club sandwich and I got to say that thing was amazing. Uh, scarfed it down. Uh, if I'm ever back in that part of Colorado, it wasn't in Crested Butte. It was actually uh, just outside of, uh, 
It was in Louisville, Colorado. But if I'm ever back there, I will definitely eat there again. Uh, that sandwich was amazing. Uh, in Colorado, uh, in Crested Butte, we had, you know, you had wedding food. The first night was a barbecue. Pretty good. Night of the ceremony, wedding food. You know, it's always good. You're having a good time. I will say it was my first time having an Aperol spritz. Now, I know Aperol spritzes are controversial in the food world. People are like, oh, my God, it's this new trend. Why do people like Aperol? You know what? Shut up. It's great. It's fine. We all have the things that we like. I'm not a big fan of White Claws. I don't think they taste like anything. It's just LaCroix with alcohol. You know, it, 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 that's hip. But I'm not going to go out there and say people are dumb for drinking it. It's the same thing with Aperol spritzes. You know, we all have, it's the summertime. And yes, in Arizona, it's very hot, but it's hot everywhere. So when you're sitting by a pool or you're outside, you want something refreshing. And you know what? It doesn't have to be fancy. That's what an Aperol spritz is. It's not fancy. Which, by the way, I knew Aperol was in it, but I didn't know what else. And turns out it's Prosecco and uh, a little bit of soda water. Uh, I had way too many of those. That's how delicious they were in addition to uh, some old fashions, but that's the great thing about weddings. It's open bars. Uh, but Crested Butte was nice. Colorado was nice. Uh, that took up, uh, you know, one weekend of mine, and uh, I got back and talk about a long drive back, stopped at the Whole Foods in Flagstaff, and not going to talk about Whole Foods because you guys have all been there. It's okay food. It's not great. You know, when you're on a road trip, you just want sustenance. It doesn't need to be fancy. Uh, in terms of restaurants that I went to before I left for Colorado, I went to Olive and Ivy. And I know I've, sp- uh, I've spoken about Olive and Ivy uh, before. I've talked about the breakfast there. Uh, but this was my first time in a couple of years having dinner at Olive and Ivy. I had um, I'd previously had dinner there years ago in college, and this was before I had an appreciation for food. So uh, I was very excited. I have a couple friends that work there, and uh, one of my friends was celebrating her year uh, anniversary with Fox. So I guess when you have been with Fox Restaurant Concepts, which is a um, big local uh, restaurant group here, when you've been there for a year, they uh, have, you get a dinner on them. I think it's two appetizers, four dishes, and a dessert. So uh, she invited me along with a group of friends. I said, hey, I'm not going to pass that up. So ended up going there. We got a smorgasbord of uh, appetizers. We got like a cheese plate. We got their bread. We got some, uh, we, we got some bruschetta. You know, all the normal things that you get before you have a uh, before you have a big meal. Now, I had the bone-in ribeye as my, uh, as my main dish. And I got to say, I had too much to eat right before with the charcuterie and whatnot. Uh, so I couldn't finish the bone-in ribeye, but it was pretty good. Uh, a little tough for my liking, um, you know, medium. It, it was, I had it cooked medium, uh, medium rare, but a little hard to cut. Still, uh, still tasty. Uh, I got to say, I don't know what was up with the cream spinach. Uh, a little salty for my taste and a little rich. I, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I, you know, I think with cream spinach, there's a fine line because it's such a rich dish and usually it's served with other, you know, rich um, food like a steak or some other type of protein. Uh, you have to ride a, a fine line of, you know, Obviously, you want this rich taste, but you don't want it to be too rich, too salty. And unfortunately, that's what the cream spinach was. 
the highlight of that plate, though, was the potatoes. And, uh, you know, potatoes are potatoes, and it's hard to really make them taste better than, you know, I, I think fries, you can make fries, you, you can make an argument that there are, you know, there's definitely a difference in, in fry quality no matter where you go, but, you know, just straight up potatoes, like fingerling potatoes, um, it's not too, it, it's, it's hard to differentiate between what's what's good and what's great, but these were really good fingerling potatoes. I will say the best dish of that table was uh, scallops. There was a couple of people that got the scallops, and one of the people that were sitting next to me had scallops, and I tasted them, and, and I got to say, were they the best scallops we've ever had? No. Uh, but they were up there and, and very well um, seared, v- cooked correctly. Um, I love a good scallop, and, and it's nice to see that other people do as well because you don't think about it when you go out to eat. You don't think about scallops, and I probably should have got that, but you know, in my mind, I think, oh, scallops is not going to be enough to, to fill me up. But I saw that plate, and I thought, man, I fucked up. I should have got the scallops. But that was an all. That was all of an ivy. You know, I appreciated being there. The, the food was good. Um, next time I will get the scallops. That's all I have to say. Uh, got back from Colorado. I went to uh, went to Taco Tuesday with a friend, Cien Agave's Tacos and Tequila. Just uh, you know, it's one of those Mexican restaurants. There's a few, to me, there's different types of Mexican restaurants. They're not all the same. There's traditional Mexican restaurants. There's um, kind of the Bertos of the world. That's its own category, I think. Um, and then what seems to be, uh, what there seems to be a lot of in Arizona and in general across the country are these Mexican-American restaurants. And I'm not going to be one of those people that's going to sit here and say, Oh, you know, we need to have authentic Mexican food. It's got to be cooked like it is in Mexico. It, it all, it's all good, you know. And I think it's it's a culmination of, um, it, it's just a culmination of different things, and and it's a different experience no matter where you go. And I highly recommend uh, if you want to learn more about Mexican food in the United States, its history, and the different types of restaurants that we have, um, read a book called Taco USA by Gustavo Arellano. Um, it's a very good book. He delves into the history from when uh, Mexicans first started bringing the food here in America to present day, you know, what, what we have t- today and, and the variety we have of Mexican food. It, 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 I learned a ton about um, Mexican food culture, my own culture. You know, I, I will say I'm not the most cultured person when it comes to Hispanic and Mexican culture, and I'm, it's definitely something I've um, task myself in doing is, is learning more about my heritage. I am Hispanic. And, um, that book was like a good starting point. Cause I think to me, Mexican food is the best food in the world. Fight me on it. You know how I know this? Nobody dislikes a taco. I challenge you to find somebody that, you know, who does not like a taco. It's the best food there is. We can talk about that another time. But Santa Gaves to me is a Mexican restaurant that you go, I call it a margarita Mexican restaurant. Like you go there, you're not going to get, it's not going to be the best Mexican food you're ever going to have. Um, it's going to be a little greasy. The portions are going to be big, but sometimes that's just what you need. Maybe you've had a long day at the office. Maybe you're just wanting to have fun and have some food before you go out, but I call it a margarita Mexican restaurant because you go in there, you order a marg, even though I didn't. 
you know, I was driving, so I, I didn't order anything to drink, but my friend did. Um, she ordered a, a margarita, but you know, you go in, you order a margarita and maybe get one or two and you get some, you get some chips, some salsa, you get an appetizer and, and you get some, just, you know, you get a, you get a big plate of Mexican food, whether it's enchiladas or tacos. Um, but it's just one of those places where, um, you know, and in fact, I'd gone to a Mexican restaurant, uh, with my mother previously. And I told her that I said, you know, this is just the type of place you go to. And this was different, a different one than Siena Gavis. But I was sitting there at dinner with my mother. and I said, you know, this is the type of place you go to and you just get a margarita after work and maybe some tacos or nachos. And she agreed. And so Siena Gavis, that's what I call it. So it's a margarita Mexican restaurant. You go there after work or whatever, and you get a margarita, you get a drink and, and, you know, a couple bites of food. That's it. So, uh, it wasn't bad. Uh, I we got nachos, and I was I was kind of curious about the history of nachos. So I, I looked it up, and and I put this uh, when I put the picture on my Instagram. I, I put this in the caption, um, and I'll read it to you. It's Did you know that nacho is a nickname for Ignacio? Why is it important? It's why we have nachos today. The story goes that Ignacio Anaya of the Victory Club in Piedras Negras, Mexico, invented them in 1943. One day, a couple of army wives walked in after closing and wanted food. Despite not having much, Anaya took some tortillas, fried them, melted some cheese, and threw on some jalapenos. He called it Nachos Special. That's a Wikipedia entry for you, but um, and actually a video with an author of um, Taco USA. I'd watched a video on it, but I found that interesting, and and um, I wanted to read that to you because. Uh, it's cool, and I think you can learn about other cultures, and you and, and it's a good segue into learning about cultures through the food, because we all have to eat, and food, no matter where you go, is steeped in tradition. Um, there's often, you know, f- there's often reasons that that certain foods come to be, and and I found that a fascinating story that this guy literally just took, you know, what he had on hand, and if you read the history of a lot of food and dishes, that's usually how it is. They just take what's on hand and it becomes something totally different. And there's many stories like that, not just in Mexican food, but all types of different food um, across the spectrum. So, uh, you know, I, I I didn't think the nachos were anything crazy, but I wanted to put that on there because, um, you know, I, I thought the history of the dish was, was interesting. I mean, we, we think of nachos, it's such a staple of you know Amer- you know of, of food here in america that um you know i think it's good to learn where it comes from but that was santa gabe's after that let's see where else have i gone since i've uh, been back uh, i went to hillstone which if you talk to chefs which i've done a time or two if you talk to chefs, a lot of them will tell you one of their favorite restaurants is Hillstones. Um, sometimes it's known as Houston's, but it's the Hillstone group that owns them. And a lot of the times they'll tell you the food's good. It's it's not, you know, they, they won't say it's their favorite meal ever. But one thing that Hillstone does well, um, it's actually two things. One, it's consistency. Chefs will tell you that no matter what city you're in, you can walk into a Hillstone, the Hillstone in Phoenix. It will taste, if you go to the Hillstone in San Francisco or LA or wherever, I think they have one in LA um, or, or, or in Houston, Texas or wherever it is, it's going to taste the same and it's going to be good. 
And that's hard to do um, in restaurants, even big ones, chain, even like corporate chains that, you know, have, you know, specific quantities that you cook and specific ways of doing things. It's hard to execute consistency across a big scale. And Hillstone does that. The second reason that chefs will tell you they like it and why I like it as well is because the service is impeccable. You never, I've never, and I've been to Hillstone a few times now, I've never waited longer than probably three minutes. I know that's specific, but I don't time it when I go in. But I've never waited longer than three minutes for somebody to come up and acknowledge you, pour some water, um, to work there, to be a part of the team, service is first. And there's a lot of great local restaurants that have great service and impeccable service, but Hillstone, again, it's great service and it's consistent no matter where you go. I've been to the Houston's. Um, they have a Houston's restaurant in, in like um, mid Scottsdale between South and North. And same thing, you know, you never have to wait for somebody to come and, and see how you're doing. And it's not just one waiter, like you have your main waiter and then there's other people that come up throughout the meal, clear your table, make sure you have everything that you need. Um, and they're always just nice. So it's it's very, um, the service is, is great. And the food is pretty good too. So. Um, the one thing that I always get when I'm there, that is the spinach artichoke dip. And quite frankly, it's it's people who have been to Hillstone, you know what I'm talking about. You you can't you can't not have a meal at Hillstone with you can't have a meal at Hillstone without getting the spinach artichoke dip. I put it up on my story, and I got I got like four messages about it. Like, oh my god, that's the artichoke dip, or I love that dish, and um. One thing that they do that's interesting compared to other places, usually when you get spinach artichoke dip, it's uh, it's just served with chips or focaccia. They serve their spinach artichoke dip with tortilla chips, salsa on the side, and sour cream. Now, I know that sounds a little weird. Like, why would they put sour cream with um, spinach artichoke dip and salsa? But it's good. Like, you get a little salsa, and then you mix it with the... Uh, the um, sour cream and I got to say it works well together and this spinach artichoke dip is good because spinach artichoke dip is one of those things it's easy to put on a menu but it's very hard to execute there's so many restaurants in town not just in Phoenix but you could drop you could drop yourself in any city in the country and pretty much every restaurant's going to have some like American restaurant that has American food it's going to have some variation on this on the artichoke dip what a lot of restaurants do is they char the shit out of the outside of that. They really make that cheese crusty on top. It's not bad. Sometimes that's what I want uh, my spinach artichoke chip uh, dip to taste like. But this one isn't. At Hillstone, it's it's creamier. It's almost like going back to the cream spinach at um, at Olive and Ivy. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like that, you know, without the spinach part. But it's it's it, to me a really good. Uh, spinach artichoke dip is is it's just creamy. It's it, you don't char that. You maybe do a, just a tiny char on top uh, to make it a little crispy. But but Hillstone does it correctly, and it's, and it's addicting, uh, and also very filling. So uh, you know, don't 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 look at it and say, oh my goodness, that's that's not going to fill me up. I'll get other appetizers. It's the only appetizer you need. Although, uh, again, I went with my, I went with my mother uh, for dinner, and she got a simple house salad as well. And I got to say, that's one of the best house salads I've had. It was a simple lemon vinaigrette, some greens, tomatoes, goat cheese. Uh, it, it, 
it all meshed uh, very well. It, it, I tend to like things a little bit more uh, acidic, and the salad was on the acidic side. Um, and especially in the summer, it's, it's just a crisp and, and, and refreshing salad. The goat cheese on there, you normally don't see, uh, at least to me, I don't see a lot of uh, salads with goat cheese in it. Um, I think it's it's a good thing. And, and they don't do this just because it's the summer. It's just what they normally have in their house salad. But uh, especially here in Arizona, if you're eating a salad, you to me, I think a good salad in the summer is something that's acidic, you know, has an acidic dressing like a lemon vinaigrette. And then has that goat cheese that really is, you know, it's creamy in it and it kind of cuts through the acidity. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed that salad. Now for the main dish, uh, I go back on for I go back and forth on on what my favorite dish at Hillstone is, and and it's either I either get the ribs, which are the best ribs I've ever had, they literally fall off the bone, or the hamburger, the cheeseburger I should say. Now this cheeseburger is massive. You look at the price and you're like ah sixteen bucks for a cheeseburger. But this thing you could split you could split with someone, get the spinach artichoke dip, split the burger, and you'll be fine. And 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 I had the burger. I tell you, I got to the I finished the first half, no problem. Second half of this burger, I struggled a little bit. But it's a very good burger. You know, again, I say this a lot about dishes, not the best dish I've ever had. Again, not the best burger I've ever had, but it's it's good and I think it's just consistent. And they cook it correctly. And, of course, you know, it's all about how you order it. You never order a burger cooked more than medium rare. I'm sorry, folks. If you, if you, if you order it medium, medium well, you, you've just you, you've taken all the flavor out of it. So, so, so get it medium rare at least. Um, you know, it, 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 the lettuce is, uh, is shredded um, is shredded iceberg lettuce. You know, it's not fancy. That's how a burger should be. But it's fresh um, iceberg lettuce. It's tomato, um, the cheese on there, the sauce. It's, it's just a classic burger, and you can't go wrong. And sometimes you just need a classic burger, and Hillstone does it correctly. Um, their patties are a little thinner than most. I mean, this is not going to be a thick patty that you would find at a restaurant that is known for their burger. And the bun is a little bit bigger, but, you know, if you kind of smash it down a little bit in your hands, uh, it, it, it's a good meal. And, again, you don't – to me, burgers don't need to be fancy. You know, I recently had a burger with an egg on it and bacon and all of that. And it was okay. It wasn't bad. You know, it, 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 it made me not hungry anymore. Uh, and it was good, but you know, it, I, I just don't think you need to add a lot to make a burger good. And Hillstone understands that you just need fresh produce, good meat and uh, a decent bun and you're fine. So, you know, I, Hillstone, Hillstone's a good restaurant and, uh, the Biltmore one also is, good for people watching i if you're gonna go in go on a friday night or a saturday night there is you're bound to see some interesting people uh i would definitely make a reservation though even in the summer that place uh gets very busy and the winter forget about it if you do a walk-in in the winter at seven o'clock on a friday night that's a two-hour wait at least so uh make a reservation i always do when i go in just to be on the safe side uh hillstone that's in the biltmore 32nd street and camelback is it the best restaurant in the Biltmore? I don't know. It might be. I'm kidding. There's like way better restaurants in the Biltmore. Uh, but it's it's top five for sure. But that's Hillstone. I will tell you, I don't, there's not many restaurants that have their service beat. Um, again, you don't wait long to get service there. Uh, I went to a, a restaurant in the Scottsdale Quarter that opened uh, called The Dog House. Uh, I, you know, if you listen to past episodes on the podcast, uh, you hear me talk about 
how uh, it's hard for me to find a decent hot dog in this town. And, uh, you know, I just haven't done enough uh, exploring to find a decent hot dog. So I, I, I went to a doghouse. My friend and I were actually going to go to Shake Shack. I love Shake Shack. Now, don't don't get me started on the debate of Shake Shack versus In-N-Out. Uh, that's not that's not the real uh, debate. In fact, I'm going to come back to this because there's a different debate uh, that I want to talk about that um, I think should be had instead of the In-N-Out Shake Shack debate. So stay tuned for that. But we went to the dog. We were going to go to Shake Shack, but we passed by this place. And my friend was like, oh, this place open. You know, I've been wanting to try. I said, OK, let's go in there. He got a chicken sandwich. I got a chili dog. Uh, not a traditional bun. It was it was this weird. It looked like little mini buns stuck together, like hamburger buns, but it was kind of folded in a hot dog bun kind of way. Uh, but it was pre- it was good. I, I gotta say, a really good chili dog. And they did something you should do when you're making a chili dog: toast the fucking bun. There are some places that do not toast their bun when they serve you a chili dog. You know what happens? When you eat a chili dog on a non-toasted bun, you spill it all over yourself. I think that thing just gets soggy. It's not good. So shout out to Doghouse for toasting the bun because it makes it a lot easier to eat. I got tater tots with it, um, which were uh, pretty good. I will say, though, they asked me if I wanted, uh, I think it was like ranch or a sauce with my tater tots. And I said, yeah, sure. And then I looked at the price because they have those little uh, digital screens now. I said, and they said seventy-five cent surcharge. Now, normally I would say, all right, seventy-five cents, what's the big deal? But you know, I've been on a budget lately, and it's just a condiment. And so I said, seventy-five cents for a sauce? You can take that off. That's my one knock, um, folks. Uh, people who own restaurants. Unless your sauce is some kind of secret, and even then it still should be free, what are you charging people almost a dollar for sauce for? It's just ranch. You know what? Next time I'll bring my own. Uh, the folks out there, what, what ranch should I bring in next time to wherever I go? I, I couldn't believe I was getting charged extra for it. Uh, that's, this, 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 this should be a human right. You sh- we should have a right, uh, not only in this country, but around the world. Uh, for just basic condiments to be free. We got a presidential election coming up. I want to hear them talk about that. What are we going to do about this surcharge in condiments? Come on now, candidates. Let's see what you can come up with. Anyways, doghouse in the quarter. Uh, chili dog, pretty good. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to delve in the, the taste and all that. I think the biggest thing in a chili dog is toast, toast, the, toast the bun. Um. So before that, I, and I forgot to mention this, a couple of weeks before I went to my first, <laughs> I went to my first influencer event, and I'm doing air quotes uh, with my fingers right now. Influencer uh, at Sip uh, Coffee at, at Sip Garage, and and I love the people, love Sip. You guys know Mo and I are good friends, uh, but it was very interesting to be invited to to the influencer because I don't see myself as an influencer. I don't know who I influence, but. I think a lot of it was just Mo. Mo was like, hey, you know, we're doing this new menu. I know you come in a lot, and we're good friends. And so um, I'm very grateful um, to uh, to have been invited there. But uh, it was very interesting because I, I've uh, a lot of the people, in fact, most of the people that were there were uh, food Instagrammers, people that have a 
big following on Instagram and I'd recognize some of the names and, um, you know, they're, uh, the influencer culture just in general, whether it's food or any other realm of our society, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, there, we, we could debate on what are, you know, do people really influence? Is it, it, you know, what are the ramifications of it in our society? But I don't have a problem with it. You know, people are going to make money and, um, you know, I have certain opinions about it and, and, um, and, and just, you know, I, I wish certain things were done differently, but, uh, it was interesting to meet those people and, and, and some of them were cool. You know, I, I, you know, sometimes you meet people on the internet, you follow each other on the internet and you meet them in person and, it's like, wow, you're more talkative on the internet than you are in person. But um, uh, there's a couple of people we, uh, my friend and I sat next to uh, that were really fun and, and cool to talk to. Uh, but it was it was great to see the new menu. Uh, and, and, you know, you think small plates. It really made me appreciate uh, small plates because I tasted, I think, almost not, I think, 10 things on that menu. Man, by the tenth item, I, I was done. I was out for the count. I gotta say, the real winner of that tasting was the pulled pork sandwich. I talk about the pulled pork all the time on this show. You know, the pulled pork tacos, except the pulled pork burrito. But you know, sometimes, excuse me, I've been looking for a good pulled pork sandwich in Phoenix because uh, sometimes you just want a nice, uh, you know, sauced sandwich with that just juicy uh pulled pork and they brought this thing out and it was a little mini slider version of it and holy cow i'm going back to get that uh the recipe secret i always ask what do you guys do to it and mo always tells me don't worry about it which eh, to be fair that's true it's secret but the pulled pork sandwich was definitely the highlight um and they also did cocktail tastings the bourbon chai me was uh and normally i'm not a heavy like you know drinks that are very heavy i like them just refreshing or crisp and or or, you know just you know milky drinks you know like stouts like you know beers that are stouts i'm not usually a big fan of uh but i'll normally drink anything i mean you give me free alcohol i'm gonna drink it uh but this bourbon chai me was really really good and this is actually a creation that mo came up with and um he uh it's got bourbon it's got chai in it uh i won't yeah i I don't have the full recipe on me but go in there and get a bourbon chai me it is really good i haven't seen uh, a cocktail like that around town and and granted i haven't been out to many cocktail places lately but uh it, it was well received a lot of people said it was their favorite cocktail and um it's been it's been such a hit that uh, Four Roses, which is the bourbon that Mo uses, is actually going to feature it uh, as one of their recipes. So uh, if, if you want to go look it up, which I should probably do right now, but uh, I don't know when they're going to feature it. I'll have to ask him. But the bourbon chime it at uh, Sip, it, it sounds interesting. It's very delicious. So go and get it. Uh, so that's where I've eaten recently. I, uh, you know, uh, uh, it, it's kind of different food here and, and we're in summer. So the meals are going to be, um, you know, not as heavy as they normally are. A lot of the ingredients the chefs are using these days. Um, it's not going to be, you know, it's just so hot here. You don't want to, you don't want a heavy meal when you go, when you go out to eat. You know, I had a 
like I said, I had a burger the other night, and I mean, I just took a couple bites. I was like, oh, I'm already full. It's just so hot. Uh, but that's what we have to deal with to get good weather in this town. All right, I'm going to end on this. And uh, it might be a little controversial. Might not be. I don't care. It's my opinion. So uh, whenever you bring up Shake Shack, which uh, a little history about Shake Shack. Uh, Shake Shack was founded by man, a uh, man by the name of Danny Meyer. Uh, Danny Meyer wrote a book in the 80s called Setting the Table, and it's basically the Bible for industry professionals on how to um, basically start and, and run a restaurant and with a focus on hospitality. He really is the hospitality king. Um, he's a really nice guy. I'm acting like I've met him. I've never met him, but I've watched interviews and you read about him, and he's influential in that way. He opened up a number of different restaurants in uh, in New York City, Gramercy Tavern. Um, he helped open 11 Madison Park, which ended up, uh, he sold it and ended up becoming the number one restaurant in the world uh, with Daniel Hume and Will Gadara. And uh, he had, you know, he now has his Union Hospitality Group, which is his massive empire in New York City. Uh, but what he's probably most famous for, besides his book, is Shake Shack. And he started Shake Shack. He was walking through Central Park one day, and uh, he thought, you know, it'd be cool to have like a hot dog or a burger cart. And he opened it up as kind of a one-off, just like a pop-up. It became so popular that he opened up multiple locations in New York City. He ended up expanding. Now Shake Shack is worldwide. Uh, they went public. Danny Meyer is a very, very, very rich man because of it, um, and it's a it's a popular it's a popular burger restaurant, and it came to Phoenix for the first time I think three or four years ago uh, to much fanfare. Now they've got uh, I think it's four locations in Phoenix, and um, one of the debates that people have on the West Coast is Shake Shack versus In and Out because both burgers are very iconic. Now I hate that. I hate that debate already because one, they're different price points. Two, it's just a different level of burger. I think it's comparing apples to oranges. The real debate that we should be having is Chick-fil-A versus Shake Shack. That's right, Chick-fil-A versus Shake Shack. That's a debate we should really be having because Shake Shack has a chicken sandwich on their menu. Um going back to the In N Out versus Shake Shack debate, if I want a burger, I'm going to In N Out eight times out of ten if i want a chicken sandwich i ain't going to chick-fil-a i am going to shake shack now politics aside from chick-fil-a it's overrated food i think i've said this before but i do not get the hype uh, for chick-fil-a i really really don't it costs a lot of money you don't feel like you've eaten enough uh, the waffle fries are okay, but the chicken, the chicken's not good. It's just not. And I don't know why people, I think, I think we have this subconscious just reaction. We think, oh, because there's a line, it must be really good. Now I know that sounds hypocritical because it's usually a line at Shake Shack. There's usually a line at In-N-Out, but those are, uh, foods worth waiting for. Chick-fil-A is not worth waiting for. And I can tell you, I live near one. Very disappointed when it went in. Uh, the rumor was that that was going to be an in and out. 
now you look at the space and like, ah, not big enough for the amount of cars that In-N-Out usually has. Uh, but maybe it would have gotten us our asses out of the car and walking again instead of you know being lazy. That's another debate. But um, a Chick-fil-A went in. And, and granted, I went there when it opened. And I go there sometimes and I think, this is not worth it. It's sub-quality chicken. It's not good. Uh, if you disagree with me, you disagree with me. But I think the real debate should be uh, Shake Shack's chicken sandwich versus Chick-fil-A. Now, I know Shake Shack has only one version of their chicken sandwich, but if you were to take all of Chick-fil-A's menu items versus the one chicken sandwich from Shake Shack, Shake Shack's going to win every time. It's just a superior product. And Danny Meyer is the reason behind that. He wants superior products, and he wants great ingredients at a good price point, and that's what you get. You know, it, It's going to be the same weight. And you're going to get a better product. So I want to know, what do you guys think? Chick-fil-A or Shake Shack? Let me know. Uh, that, but I, I was just thinking about that. That's the real debate we should have. Forget about In-N-Out versus uh, Shake Shack. It really should be Chick-fil-A versus Shake Shack. Because honestly, when I go to Shake Shack, I usually crave the chicken sandwich. And you don't feel leaving, you know, you felt like you ate enough. So that's my one uh, controversial uh, I guess, um, speech or whatever for the day. Uh, that's where I ate. I wanted to jump on, give you an update of what's been going on, uh, lately, uh, with me in terms of eating. Uh, it's been fun. Uh, you know, it's, it's been fun eating out and I'm, I'm trying to go to new places and, um, I've started to create a new rule that if I'm going to spend over a certain amount of money that it's, uh, you know, when I go out to eat that, um, it, it has to be a new place that I haven't been to before. Cause I, I really want to force myself in the remainder of this year and then going into next year to, um, get out of, uh, get out of this little kind of bubble that I'm in, you know, here, cause there's, there is good restaurants near where I live, but, uh, sometimes you have to travel for that food. And, uh, this weekend I'm going to go to uh, a couple new places and I will report back to you. So, uh, like I say, at the end of every show, uh, folks go out, go support your local restaurants, try something new, uh, eat something you haven't eaten before, drink something you haven't drank before, uh, and have a good time. We've got a great food scene. There's not, there's no reason, uh, to, to not uh, support it. Even though I just literally had a debate of, uh, two chains, uh, you know, Shake Shack and Chick-fil-A, but you know, Sometimes we're human. Sometimes we need those uh, comfort foods. Uh, but go out, support your local restaurants in Arizona. There's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of them, a lot of great ones. Uh, have a great week. Have a great weekend, guys. We will see you next time.